Okay, here I am, John Andercheck, Labor Lines, the podcast, Labor Lines, the radio show on KRFP 90.3 FM, Moscow. I'm sitting at my home. It is the 15th of January, and via Zoom, I'm being joined by Diego, Jesus, and Eric with the Restaurant Workers Council out of New York City. Uh, coming back together again, we're going to go over what's uh, happening on their end in their effort to organize the restaurant sector right now in New York City in an independent and democratic union. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you three. All right. Uh, thank you, John, for having us. As always, it's a pleasure. Uh, for those of you who might be listening for the first time, uh, we're with the Restaurant Workers Council, uh, Consejo de Trabajadores y Restaurantes out of uh, New York. Uh, like John said, uh, we're trying to form an independent and democratic union that will organize all restaurant workers in our sector, in our city, and eventually uh, beyond. Uh, we see that the crisis shows us why we need organization, and we find that it's a moment in which uh, uh, it's time to begin down that uh, long and uh, difficult uh, path. Como acabamos de decir, somos el Consejo de Trabajadores y Restaurante de la Ciudad de Nueva York. Tenemos la meta de organizar al sector de restaurantes en nuestra ciudad y uh, más allá, en un sindicato democrático e independiente. Uh, esta crisis nos ha enseñado la necesidad de estar organizados y también uh, nos ha dado una oportunidad de empezar en este uh, camino que será uh, largo y difícil, pero acabaremos uh, en victoria seguramente. Um, so uh, we have a few things that we were uh, prepared to talk about today about uh, our recent uh, analysis on the tipping system and our position on why uh, we feel like it needs to change. And uh, we'd be happy to talk about the past year as well. Go, go right ahead. Again, the voice is yours here. Uh, for all three of you, uh, uh, just throw this comment in there. Uh, I have a family background in uh, restaurant work. Uh, my mother, uh, myself, almost everybody in my family, one way or the other, our children have worked in it. And uh, tipping has been this uh, issue uh, and can be very problematic no matter what, but uh, especially for women. So right. go ahead. Right, right. Um, so uh, we find that the tipping museum, uh, the tipping system is something that belongs in a museum along, by, along with other things that have been uh, discarded by the worker movement when it comes to child labor, 18 hour days, all of those things that have been long gotten rid of. Uh, <clears throat> we find that uh, this position can be a little bit confusing for people that aren't familiar with it. They see it as something inherent, something eternal. And uh, for this reason, we have to clarify our position. Uh, if I can repeat in Spanish. Creemos que el costume de propina debería pertenecer a un museo al lado de otras reliquias que han sido tirados a la calle por el movimiento de trabajadores. Hay cierta confusión sobre el sistema y por esa razón tenemos que clarificar um, I think uh, before we begin, it's a good uh, to point out that uh, since restaurants have existed, tipping has existed, and since tipping has existed, restaurant workers have actually fought to end the tipping system and replace it with a high hourly wage. This is something that we see uh, since 1848 and even earlier. Uh, so it's part of a very long tradition that I think that we should take up and uh, uh, take to its conclusion. This is not a new idea by any means. So uh, <clears throat> we have a few points 
the first is that uh, in general, tip workers suffer poverty at nearly twice the rate of non-tip workers. This is uh, due to a lack of uh, wage stability and the fact that tip workers are rarely organized. And uh, a second point that follows from that is that tip workers aren't inclined to struggle against the boss since the wage, ri wage rises and falls with profitability of the restaurant. And so um, that foments the illusion that the interests of the boss and the workers are the same. Uh, following from that, uh, tip workers tend towards a certain uh, individualism, which could uh, manifest itself in uh, restaurants like we've all seen, those of us who've worked there, that uh, uh, tip workers will often feel that they need to manage and discipline their fellow workers. And uh, in the case that that works out, uh, sometimes tip workers in certain restaurants take home a relatively high wage, which resides at, uh, results in a hierarchy of wages that doesn't benefit anyone in the restaurant. In reality, it weakens the collective force of restaurant workers. And then, of course, as you alluded to, John, uh, tip workers have to endure the indignity of begging and scraping for their wage. Uh, high tips are uh, <clears throat> a translation in monetary terms of obsequiousness, which uh, can lead to a, a situation in which uh, abuse is endemic and very difficult to get rid of. Uh, para los que hablan español, uh, decimos que hay varias razones por qué oponemos a la sistema, al sistema de propina. El primero es que los trabajadores propinados sufren la, sufren la pobreza casi doble la tasa de los que no son propinados, uh, que viene de la falta de seguridad. Uh, segundo, los trabajadores propinados no están generalmente dispuestos a luchar por sus inter intereses contra los patrones porque uh, la apariencia del sistema de, de propina lo hace parecer que uh, los trabajadores tienen el mismo interés que los jefes. Eh, también vemos a veces que los trabajadores propinados pueden uh, tender hacia el individualismo que les uh, llega a dirigir y disciplinar a sus compañeros trabajadores en lugar de uh, verles realmente como camaradas. Eh, también vemos que uh, cuando los trabajadores propinados en ciertos restaurantes se llevan un salario relativamente alto. Eso resulta en una jerarquía de salarios que divide al restaurante y que en, en el análisis final uh, no va bien para nadie. Y también, también vemos un problema en que los trabajadores propinados tienen que subir uh, la dignidad de tener que rogar y suplicar por su salario, que debería ser uh, dado y mereci merecido. Uh, esto... Uh, causa una situación en que el abuso y el acoso puede ser endémico y en que uh, no es fácil uh, luchar contra eso. So, uh, <clears throat> we find that uh, all the problems that come as a consequence of the tipping system could be undone by a union contract that replaces tips with a high guaranteed and uniform wage uh, that would be paid directly out of the owner's pockets instead of, um, this is of course in contrast to the tipping system now, and in terms of tip sharing schemes that have been propagated by people like uh, Danny Meyer, David Chang, One Fair Wage, and interestingly enough, recently that uh, Trump DOL. Uh, and to understand this closely, we need to uh, talk about um, some basics of political economy, including the, the wage, the essence of the wage and uh, various different wage forms. Right. Uh, and again, from uh, my limited experience, 
uh, in restaurant. I know you talked about how uh, some workers will take it upon themselves to manage to, you know, kind of a power structure there. And uh, a lot of times that doesn't, it, that, from my experience, again, it broke down into the front and the back that, uh, and it erodes the sense that uh, uh, all work has, has, a, has dignity to it. All workers have dignity, uh, have the inherent dignity uh, as part of humanity. Uh, and this would go a long way. So again, it's a long march, certainly different than all these other schemes you talk about, and certainly different than the idea of raising minimum wage. So again, uh, go right ahead, please. Um, right. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, Eric, do you wanna talk about the basics of the wage? Should we go on? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll just say that uh, um, just in response to what John said, that this tendency towards individualism of uh, managing and disciplining fellow workers is a direct result of the fact that the wage, the tipped wage depends on the capacity of all workers in the tip pool to garner a high tip percentage on sales. Um, and so this is one of the problems that we see, Diego went over the whole uh, gamut of problems, poverty, passivity, individualism, wage hierarchy, uh, degrading servility, uh, that a high uniform time wage for all workers uh, should replace. Um, but yes, I'll talk a little bit about what a tip in fact is. Um, it's important, I think, to recognize that tipping is just one of many forms taken by the wage. And so first we need to understand what is a wage. And so this will be a little bit of a detour, uh, but I think it will be, it's necessary to understand uh, in a scientific manner, what is the tipped wage? Uh, so in the capitalist system, of course, workers are hired by employers, by capitalists who pay the workers a sum of money for every hour they work. Uh, that sum of money is the wage. And therefore on the surface, uh, the wage appears to be the price of labor the price of labor, but that is an illusion. Uh, because what capitalists purchase on the labor market is not labor as such, uh, but temporary use of the workers to labor. Uh, the wage is used to maintain our physical and mental capacity to work, that is our labor power. Uh, so in particular, the wage is used to purchase the wage goods we require to reproduce our capacity to work, our labor power for ourselves and for our family every day. So labor power is the power to work, the ability of a worker to work. Workers are able to work only when our requirements of life are satisfied. If we don't have a means of eating, drinking, sheltering, clothing, uh, entertaining ourselves, we can't work. We have no labor power. And if our requirements of life are not satisfied to the full, then our labor power will be correspondingly diminished. Consequently, labor power is produced by the satisfaction of the necessary requirements of the worker. So its value is the value of those things that we need uh, to satisfy uh, our uh, social needs. So that means our fundamental requirements, our natural requirements, but also so-called artificial requirements that have become habitual for workers that can't be dispensed with. So if we're accustomed to smoke or read newspapers or go out to eat once a week, then all of that will enter into the value of labor power in a given society at a given point in time. Um, 
Okay, so the value of the basket of wage goods in a given society is the value around which wages fluctuate. They can be a little more, uh, they can be a little less. So in practice, the market price of labor power doesn't always conform exactly to its value. It can be higher or lower. Uh, but let's give an example. Um, let's say workers in 2021, January 2021, need $150 a day to live on average in New York City. It will be different in Idaho. It will be different in other countries. It will be different 10 years ago. But 2021 in New York City, let's say it's $150 per day. Uh, and a line cook in a restaurant, let's say, produces 80 meals in an eight-hour shift. So 10 meals an hour, that's a meal every six minutes. Each of those meals sells for $50. Uh, then every shift, the restaurant will sell 80 meals at $50 a meal. That is 4,000. Oh, I just realized that Diego needs to translate, but let me get through this and then. Yeah, and then we'll $4,000 $4, worth of food made by this line cook. So of this amount, let's say half covers raw materials, wear and tear to machinery, other non-labor inputs, whose cost will be transferred to the consumer. So after subtracting that cost, the cook produces $2,000 of new value with their labor per shift, which is in eight hours, 2,250 an hour. So if the wage was 2,000 per shift or 250 an hour, the owner wouldn't make a dime. Uh, but we know that the wage of the worker is determined not by the uh, actual labor, by what workers have to spend every day to live in society, which we said we stipulated was $150 a day. So the cook makes 150 for themselves or in eight hours, that would be 1875 an hour. And the wage is covered by the first six meals they make, which sell for $300, half of which is newly produced value. The rest is non-labor costs that are passed to the consumer. So since each meal takes six minutes to produce, the wage will be reproduced in th the first 36 minutes of the shift, and the owner will pocket the remaining $1,850 in newly produced value from the remaining meals, the remaining 74 meals. Uh, so in this way, uh, the cook works for seven hours and 24 minutes for free, and this is the normal functioning of capitalism. Uh, if workers were paid for all the value they produced with their labor, there'd be no possibility of profits, but profits are the lifeblood of capitalism. And since the wage is determined by the value of labor power, uh, the capitalist only has to make the worker work longer than it takes to reproduce that value to begin profiting. So in our example, the restaurant owner needed to make sure our line cooked worked 36 minutes. I know that was a lot, Diego, but you can give the... Uh, let me see if I can catch the gist. Um, pues, uh, como estamos discutiendo en el sistema capitalista, los trabajadores uh, son contratados por uh, capitalistas que uh, pagan una cantidad de dinero a los trabajadores por cada hora que trabajan. Esto es uh, el salario en su apariencia. Uh, superficialmente el salario parece ser el precio de trabajo, pero es una ilusión. Porque sabemos que uh, lo que los capitalistas compran en el mercado laboral no es el trabajo, sino que es el uso de los trabajadores. El salario se usa para mantener la capacidad física y mental para trabajar. trabajar. Es decir, una fuerza de trabajo. No están pagando por el trabajo, sino la capacidad de trabajar, que está sostenido por los bienes de consumo que un trabajador requiere para sobrevivir.
trabajar uh, de él mismo o de sus familias cada día. Uh, esto tiene que ver con uh, necesidades uh, biológicas, pero también con necesidades sociales. Como un ejemplo que damos es que, uh, teóricamente, uno, uh, si imagina, in, imaginamos a una, a una persona fuera de la sociedad, puede sobrevivir perfectamente bien sin uh, teléfono móvil, pero en esta sociedad donde lo necesitas para trabajar, para estar en contacto con su jefe, para hacer casi todas las cosas sociales que uno tiene que hacer, uh, eso uh, forma parte del coste del salario. Uh, y podemos ilustrarlo con un ejemplo. Digamos que uh, en, una, en una ciudad, digamos, en Nueva York, uh, <coughs> los trabajadores necesitan, por promedio, 150 dólares por día para vivir. Uh, eso es diferente en varias sociedades, en varios lugares y en varias épocas. Pero digamos que en enero de 2021 uh, sea así. Y digamos que un cocinero de línea produce uh, más o menos 80 comidas en un turno de 8 horas, es decir, una comida cada 6 minutos, y, y cada uno vende por unos 50 dólares cada turno. El restaurante vendería uh, 80 comidas uh, por uh, 50 dólares cada una, que sería uh, 4.000 dólares. Si decimos que en medio de eso unos 2.000 dólares uh, cubre las materias primas, el uso de uh, máquinas, otros gastos que no tienen que, hacer con, tienen que ver con el labor directamente. Uh, salimos uh, con el cocinero produciendo 2.000 dólares de valor nuevo con su trabajo cada turno o el trabajador único está produciendo 250 dólares por hora, pero obviamente los trabajadores no están pagados por todo el valor nuevo que producen porque de, de ahí vienen uh, las ganancias capitalistas uh, que vienen de la diferencia entre el coste, el precio de uh, reproducir la fuerza de, traba de trabajo y uh, el valor que uh, verdaderamente está uh, uh, añadido a los pro productos por los trabajadores. Pero como vemos, de esto vienen las ganancias y es parte del funcionamiento normal del capitalismo, esencial. Así que en nuestro ejemplo, el cocinero que gana, digamos, 150 dividido por 8 horas son 18,75 céntimos por hora. Él produce, produce su propio salario en los primeros 36 minutos del turno, es decir, que las ganancias vienen de, los, de las 7 horas y 24 minutos que el trabajador esencialmente trabaja gratis. Y vemos que el salario puede tomar uh, varias formas. Let me just pause uh, before going on to what the tipped wages, if there's any question, John. John, you're muted. There you go. Excuse me. Uh, you laid that out well, Eric. Um, I, I think ultimately uh, people listen to this. Uh, you know, it's 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 a wide and diverse audience. I like to think uh, you're critiquing the capitalist system as well as the tip system and pointing out uh, uh, the profitability or into into the system. But your focus right now is on organizing the workplace. Correct. 
Uh, right, right. But we feel that to yes. organize the workplace, we need to understand what the tipping system is. And in order to understand that, we need to understand the wage form. Very so good. from there, it all begins. I mean, I, uh, I, I personally think that yeah. uh, workers need to know as much about the functioning of political economy as anyone else. Absolutely. To be able to correctly uh, change our circumstances. Okay. I, I can again. make the point, I think. Go ahead, Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I can make the point rather simply, uh, because what I wanted to just establish is that the wage depends on the value of wage goods. Um, the government knows that when they calculate CPI, the Consumer Price Index. Um, uh, but there is an illusion that is built into the system that you are paid for your labor and not your labor power. That is the wage goods you consume in order to show up, uh, recharge your batteries every day. Uh, and the tipping form is just one form of the wage form. So the most familiar form to us would be the time wage. Uh, and what is a time wage? Um, the time wage is determined by taking the value, average daily value of wage goods, dividing it by the hours in a working day. So we have $150 a day, an eight hour shift that comes to 1875 an hour. Another basic form is the peace wage, a little less common, but in certain sectors, it's the norm, uh, which pays the worker according to the number of items they produce. Uh, the more the worker produces, the more they get in wages. This makes it seem like you're being paid for every product you produce. But in reality, the peace wage is not essentially different from the time wage. And that's because when capitalists set the wage per unit of product, they consider the daily wage and the average quantity of units produced. Uh, so in our example, you'd have $150 being the daily wage divided by 80 meals to get paid $1.88 per meal. So it's a different form of reaching that 150. And then we can get to the tipped form, uh, which is our focus here. Uh, as with any worker, the daily wage of a tipped worker depends also on the daily value of wage goods that you need to consume on average in a given society. So in our example, uh, we said the value of labor power is 150 a day. That's what we need. Most tipped workers, however, in New York City make a sub-minimum time wage. Um, and let's say that sub-minimum time wage is $7.85 an hour, which is what it is. In an eight hour shift, that will be around $60. That means that the wage covers around 40%. The time wage covers around 40% of the total wage. And so the question, where does the remaining 60% come from? Uh, as everyone knows, the remainder comes out of tips on sales. So the tipping system is a kind of dividend wage system uh, in which at the end of a given period, uh, a dividend is distributed to workers based on the level of sales or profits earned by the company. But this dividend wage system, the notion that the wage is a general dividend deducted from profits is an illusion. The dividends here in the form of tips are just advanced deductions from your basic wage. That's the basic point here. That's the fundamental point. Tips are an advanced deduction from your basic wage. So in our example, a 60% deduction from the $150 workers in New York City in 2021 need to purchase the goods they need to reproduce uh, their labor power every day. So in other words, tips are a substitution that are paid for by the customers if they're so inclined for that 60% that in other wage forms are paid out by the owner. If I was 
on a construction site, I would never ask another worker to pay part of their wages. I would never have the customers pay the wage directly. I'm paid by the owner. And that's how it is in most sectors. Uh, and so this is this, this dividend illusion is harmful because it leads to this belief uh, common among tipped workers that their interests are aligned with the owners. Yeah. Uh, and just like with the peace wage, the tipped wage will lure workers to increase their intensity of labor. You have to turn over ta tables as fast as you can. You have to accept whatever harsh conditions we impose. You have to police your coworkers because everything depends on that money in the tipped pool. So of course, this arrangement benefits the owner immensely who no matter what only has to pay a sub minimum time wage to each tipped worker. Right, that's you know, some great points there. Again, this is John Andrzejczyk with Labor Lines, Labor Lines, the podcast, Labor Lines, the show on KRFP, Moscow, Idaho. I'm being joined today. I'm recording from my home on the 15th of January with Diego, Eric, and Jesus with the Restaurant Workers Council out of New York City right now, speaking, uh, they're, they are establishing uh, a movement, if you will, organizing towards a democratic and independent uh, lab, uh, union in the restaurant sector of New York City. And we're discussing uh, right now specifically uh, the tip system. Uh, uh, Eric, you compared it to the peace system. Uh, uh, which I find even more egregious than the hourly system. To some extent, uh, my take on the peace system uh, for 99% of it is uh, if it didn't work for the owner, you wouldn't have it. Uh, you know, the, the, the kind of illusion that it, it works for you. But uh, brother and sister, if it did work for the owner, there'd be no peace system. Uh, uh, and there's some exceptions. Yeah. I, 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 I was uh, working with some miners on strike up in uh uh, North Idaho here, and uh, they actually uh, wanted to defend their peace system, and they were and they were very understanding about. It. They weren't uh, uh, they knew that, but for the most part, again, it, 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 if it doesn't work for the owner, you're not you're going to go back to the hourly wage. And again, I I threw my commentary in there, and uh, we'll just go from there. Okay, um, so I I'm just no, gonna, I think that can I can I uh, can we pause to translate yeah. real quick? Right. Pues uh, estamos hablando que. Uh, la forma de salario de propina es uh, esencialmente viene del mismo propósito uh, que el salario por tiempo, es decir, que uh, digamos que el trabajador requiere el mis la misma cantidad de dinero uh, que en la situación que recibe un salario por tiempo, digamos que sea uh, 150 dólares por día, pero en uh, el caso de un trabajador propinado, Uh, solo la pequeña minoría de ese salario básico que es, necesidad, uh, que es necesario para uh, sostener la vida uh, está pagada uh, en la forma de salario por tiempo y lo demás, lo que es uh, parte de salario uh, básico que es necesario, uh, viene en la forma de propina uh, de parte del cliente que solamente lo paga uh, si le da la gana. Uh, y el punto clave de, de acordarse ahora y aquí es que eh, es una deducción avanzada del salario básico. No es algo que viene encima del salario, sino es la gran mayoría del, las, del salario que viene solamente, eh, que viene casi en forma de, 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 de un regalo del cliente, pero que realmente es parte del salario eh, neces, necesitario para sostener la vida. Lo que acaba de decir John es que si 
la forma del salario no funcionaría para su jefe, que no, eh, si no fuera algo conveniente, no existiría. Eric, ¿qué estás diciendo? Creo que esa comparación con los salarios de la paga es importante porque los trabajadores de la paga también defend the tips that they make for the same reason I think that uh, workers who are working for a peace wage may defend the peace wage because uh, um, the worker will forever dream of doubling productivity knowing that it will mean a doubling of take-home pay and it's the same illusion uh, with tipping and as you said it's to the benefit of the owners I would add that in the absence of a union the time wage is certainly to the benefit of owners as well Um, they benefit the owners in different ways um, and their advantages and disadvantages. The peace wage, for example, can lead to a lowering of quality, which is why there are sanctions that are then implemented. They can scrap work and so forth. Uh, but I think it's an interesting comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, it, it, uh, it, right. They all work in the benefit of the owner absent that union, as you say, Um, Eric, uh, uh, but it, on examination, some seem to be more uh, uh, more apparent than others. Right. So go ahead, please. Right. Yeah, I think um, one thing that's uh, common among tip workers is that uh, it's not entirely clear that uh, the tips they're receiving actually do form the basic wage. Uh, and that, that over the years uh, comes into like an average that hovers around the value that it takes to sustain themselves. They're not going and playing the lottery each time they go to work with the possibility of making infinite money. They're just uh, uh, receiving their basic wage in the most, uh, tip workers really do receive their basic wage in the most irregular, least dependable way possible. You know? And that, that has a lot of various different effects. Um, Jesús, estábamos hablando de uh, algunos de los efectos del salario en forma de propina. Yo estaba hablando sobre eh, la inseguridad que viene uh, de, de tener su salario básico pagado en, en cierta manera que es tan irregular. Si tiene algo para añadir, habla. Eric, ¿tienes algo que añadir? Yeah, I think that point that you just made, um, uh, that uh, tipped workers are at the mercy of the business cycle. Um, mm -hmm. When business is slow, um, whether it's due to cyclical or extraordinary factors like the pandemic, then tipped workers will see wages plummet. And I think that's one reason why the pandemic has given us in, in a way an opportunity to bring tipped workers into our project uh, because mm -hmm. these days um, with business slow, with restaurants closing and opening, uh, tipped workers see the precarity of the tipped wage form, uh, the way that they were caught up in the illusions of uh, making infinite money per shift before. Diego. Eric estaba diciendo que vemos que sí, sí. No, bueno, lo que yo te iba a decir es que ese sistema de propina es un arma de doble filo, ¿no? porque 
depende del el salario, de la, por ejemplo, yo va en mi experiencia, yo que está, ahora mismo estoy trabajando, mi pago no es igual todas las semanas, una semana es más alto, otra semana es más bajo, entonces depende de qué tanto movimiento hay en esa semana, por ejemplo, si el clima no está tan bueno, no llega mucha gente, obviamente, entonces no voy a ganar lo mismo que gané la semana pasada, esta semana, igual, Ahora mismo, como el sistema antes, pues sí, nos iba mejor después de la pandemia porque los tips ya iban incluidos. Ahora ya no. Ahora el cliente deja lo que ellos quieren. Entonces, como que no está siendo justo porque trabajamos mucho, porque yo tengo el mismo trabajo igual. Entonces, mi trabajo no ha bajado porque no, no me estén pagando, porque no gane más o porque gane más o gane menos. Entonces, como que no me está favoreciendo. Bueno, alguna gente pues está alegre porque... A lo mejor ellos hacen más dinero que otros. Como tú decías, que la gente que de repente los meseros, vaya, que ganan muchos más, de acuerdo a la forma de pago, que ganan más puntos que nosotros, ellos hacen más dinero, pues ellos no, a ellos poco les importa lo que pueda estar pasando. Porque yo he visto acá también que la gente tiene una cultura muy individualista, o sea, que si tú estás bien, no te importa que el otro esté jodido, como decimos así. Entonces sí, como que no, el sistema no está siendo, no es justo porque... No sería, lo correcto sería que todos tuviéramos un salario igual, que todas las semanas ganáramos lo mismo. Sí, sí, lo que decía Eric era que uh, ahora uh, con la pandemia vemos a los trabajadores propinados uh, sometidos al ciclo de negocio. Así que vemos que uh, esta ilusión que pueden tener que hay la posibilidad siempre de dinero infinito uh, ha sido, uh, esta ilusión ha sido... Uh, destruida por el hecho de que eh, se ve tan claramente la precariedad de los trabajadores propinados y la falta de otro sistema de salario. Jesús was um, saying that uh, this is uh, right now, especially that um, uh, he never takes home the same amount each week, uh, regardless of how much he works. Right now, there's only outdoor dining. Uh, there's only outdoor dining in New York. So even now, the amount that you take home can depend on the weather, uh, which is absurd. I can't think of any other job in which uh, many other sectors in which your take home pay, regardless of the work that you're doing, actually depends on the weather. Like uh, at some places, some of the time in the pandemic, like uh, tips were included as part of the beginning of the reopening. But now um, uh, it's completely up to luck how much a worker will make for doing the exact same thing every day. Uh, and then uh, you do he's saying that you do see these divisions, too, among the workforce where there might be a handful of waiters that. Uh, happen to make a little bit more money than your average waiter, your average busser. And all of a sudden you have the attitude in the part of this person that uh, now that they're making money again, they don't care how everyone else is doing. Uh, he says that uh, uh, th this irregularity is very unfair and that uh, workers should be able to depend on a consistent and high salary. Right. Well, uh, yeah, uh, very good. Again, I'd like to uh, introduce everyone here, starting with myself. I'm John Andrzejczyk, a recording on the 15th of January for Labor Lines, the radio show, Labor Lines, a podcast. And joining me are Diego, Jesus, and Eric with Restaurant Workers Council on New York City. We're discussing uh, right now uh, uh, the, the tip structure uh, built into the restaurant sector. Uh, in inequity, uh, Diego, you made a point also of uh, how it's uh, even, it kind of seems to be uh, uh, accentuate or magnify uh, individualism versus solidarity, uh, where if, if someone's making a little more, instead of uh, looking upon their 
fellow workers, they might just think it's uh, because of their benefit, not their benefit, but they're just doing a better job. They won't look upon it as uh, just circumstances. And uh, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, Diego, uh, what brought a thought to mind here, you mentioned how it was just pretty, uh, uh, maybe not unique, but certainly a function of the restaurant tipping is you don't know what you're going to make when you show up. Uh, and that also is uh, been the uh, precariousness of the service sector uh, in general before the pandemic in that uh, uh, with scheduling and other things, you, you may not show up, you may not even work. Yeah, if you work, you don't know what you're going to make. Uh, if you take all the effort to show up to work, be it childcare, transportation, a combination thereof, uh, you may show up and uh, uh, turn around and have all that uh, uh, a lost investment. So some thoughts there, and now let's turn it back to you folks. I think one uh, point. Um, right, so when you mentioned uh, working different days of the week, because obviously for tip workers, uh, a tip worker wants to work on, has to work essentially to make ends meet on a Friday or a Saturday. Uh, and a Monday or a Tuesday is a very bad day because it's very slow. So you can do almost the same amount of work but come away with very different amounts of money, right? Whereas like uh, <clears throat> I always worked as a cook. So on a Monday, Tuesday, it doesn't matter for me if no one's coming in the door, I'm having the time of my life, relatively <laughs> speaking, as much as making minimum wage can. Uh, but uh, that's not necessarily the case. And um, what one sees is uh, another manifestation of this individualism, this, this kind of uh, self-policing that, that the tipping system can encourage in, in, in workers that are really struggling to make a living is that they'll fight over the best days to schedule. Uh, the manager can essentially discipline their workers based on their scheduling, which is uh, ridiculous. That's uh, not a good situation for workers uh, to be in it all. And I think that uh, uh, having a consistent hourly wage would really take, uh, put a lot of power into the hands of, of tip workers that were previously uh, subjected not only to the whims of customers, but also to management in this particular case when it comes to scheduling. Uh, I'm just going to throw right in here and let uh, Eric come in, but because uh, that really is something that strikes me uh, at the heart, uh, Diego, with, with the with the vulnerability to the managers. Uh, because it again leads to harassment and exploitation. And, and that's just a fact of life. Uh, uh, and it all has to be uh, addressed. Again, with a union, uh, with the strength there, uh, there, there would be uh, a, a barrier, a barricade against that. But we all know uh, uh, the, the dark hole that goes down. And with that, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys go. Go on, please. Yeah. I was just going to make this point that there is a lot of resistance uh, initially when um, tipped workers, um, particularly bartenders and waiters, hear about uh, hear this position that we want to abolish tipping, uh, and in part they've been conditioned by the experience of owner-initiated schemes uh, to abolish tipping uh, in a way that. Uh, benefits them. Uh, so one example from 2015 is the Union Square Hospitality Group. They own Shake Shack, which is a big chain here in New York uh, and other restaurants, uh, small so-called progressive restaurants have also taken this up, abolishing tips. And the idea here is that 
uh, they'll put on a service charge instead. So the tips can essentially be appropriated by the owners and used to pay the wage bill. Um, and this, uh, uh, these kinds of schemes uh, came about in the face of legislative efforts to raise the minimum wage, which worried uh, restaurant owners. Uh, and rather than paying uh, for a greater percentage of the wage for tipped workers, the solution was to confiscate tips and use them to pay the increase. And it should go without saying that our proposal would never, as the owner proposals did, lower wages for workers. Uh, because the result of these schemes uh, universally, uh, which are uh, enthusiastically taken up by so-called worker centers, including ROC United, which is the big restaurant worker center, and I put worker in quotes, um, the result of those schemes has, was a lowering of wages for um, tipped workers. Uh, that <laughs> is unacceptable. Our, our goal is a high, uniform, dependable wage. Uh, so it has nothing to do with those owner-initiated schemes. Very good. And again, uh, while we're, we're talking about uh, the impact of wages, of making a living, of, of being able to provide for yourself and your family, uh, your efforts here would also uh, uh, go that much further to protect uh, human dignity. Because again, you're not you're not subject to uh, uh, again uh, management and shifts and and who gets the best schedule and all that. You get your schedule, and you know we're never going to eliminate favoritism and all that. But it it, it won't affect the money you, the, the earnings you make. So, right. Go ahead. Pause to translate. Jesús estamos diciendo todos los que hablan español. Estamos diciendo que mucha de la resistencia a la idea de reemplazar el sistema de propina con un salario por hora alto y fijo uh, viene de la memoria de estos esquemas de parte de uh, dueños de restaurante uh, que hicieron mucho ruido con la idea de eliminar a la propina, pero realmente lo que estaban diciendo uh, era confiscar las propinas para uh, subvencionar a la cuenta de... Uh, de uh, de la nómina. Es decir, que estaban usando las propinas como sub, uh, subsidio a <coughs> la cuenta de salarios que efectivamente resultó en un corte de salarios para todos los uh, trabaja trabajadores uh, propinados y casi no tenía impacto para los que uh, antes no recibían propina. Uh, y esto... Uh, tenemos que recordar que un sindicato nunca firmaría un trato que efectivamente bajaría a los salarios. Lo que buscamos, eh, solo para subrayarlo, es un salario alto, consistente, por hora, que sería mínimo lo que los meseros y los uh, trabajadores propinados ganan ahora. Uh, one thing to point out that's uh, interesting about the tip sharing schemes that uh, you uh, see in the part of worker centers and uh, other such uh, entities is that uh, the new Trump Department of Labor rules, uh, which allow tip sharing, 
are essentially a vindication of the worker centers plan. So this is an organization of supposed progressive restaurant owners that is very, very closely tied to the Democratic Party and that uh, uh, paint themselves as uh, some, some kind of um, proud resistance group. Uh, and yet we see that they're uh, they, as political progressives, and yet we see that their policy decisions, their policy plans are being effectively implemented by the Trump Department of Labor. And we can uh, flip through the recent Department of Labor decisions under Donald Trump and see that they're absolutely consistent in attacking workers at every possible turn. And yet we see the, the um, these organizations, the supposed progressive organizations run by uh, restaurant owners are effectively converging with the Trump administration in this particular policy, which uh, we think clearly is, is bad for workers. That's one thing to point out there that the uh, worker centers, Donald Trump, uh, the supposed progressive uh, restaurant owners, they all converge when it comes time to uh, attack workers' interests. Well, that's, an, uh, again, an observation comment. And uh, we spoke about this uh, a few uh, visits ago, Diego, is um, uh, you're taking the long march, the long haul towards the independent and democratic union uh, when you see other people push for the minimum wage. Uh, some unions put a lot of money into the fight mm -hmm. for 15. And again, I won't, I won't gainsay going from 7 to 15. Uh, but that all still puts you in the hands of of uh, the political system, uh, you, you're you vulnerable to what they're going to vote on at your state capitol or your city hall and all, where the the fundamental goal here is to put the hands, uh, as pride as it might sound, but you guys are sincerely working for this, put the hands in the actual workers. Right. And I think... Uh, yeah, and I think... Do you want to take it, Eric? I think we're... I was just going to gonna say that... Uh, yeah, I was going to say the goal of a union, uh, of course, a higher minimum wage is a good thing, but the goal of a union is not a higher minimum wage, but the maximum possible wage plus benefits, job security, control over conditions of labor in a pandemic. Uh, uh, and so a sectoral union uh, would negotiate a contract that would pay a high uniform wage out of the owner's pockets to all restaurant workers uh, and would not settle for minimum wage, even a high, higher minimum wage, uh, like a $15 minimum wage. Uh, we would negotiate for the maximum possible hourly wage. Para los que hablan español, estamos diciendo uh, que uh, aunque hay muchos sindicatos y grupos de uh, dicen representar a los trabajadores de restaurantes <coughs> que están usando la mayoría de su esfuerzo para trabajar por un salario mínimo más alto. Decimos que uh, nadie se quejaría de un salario mínimo más alto. Obviamente eso es, eso es una cosa buena. Pero para nosotros uh, la tarea de un sindicato no es un salario mínimo más alto, sino el salario más alto posible, el salario máximo posible. Uh, que también uh, tendría que venir con beneficios de cuidado de salud, de control sobre condiciones de trabajo. Así que no es suficiente para nosotros para trabajar y luchar por lo mínimo o para arbitrar lo que será el mínimo, sino uh, para conseguir uh, la vida mejor posible para los trabajadores. Realmente de esa manera. So again, um, 
Diego, we started out, you spoke about how the, uh, the, the perception, if you will, um, of the tip wage. Yes, it's been in there. Uh, it's, it's a dinosaur. Um, it, uh, it's more egregious than uh, some other forms of, 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 of wages, of working conditions. It, it, it exacerbates uh, problems that you're going to see in all workforces. Again, the vulnerability of when you work, how you work, uh, all along the line, uh, the, the, uh, the encouragement of individualism or, uh, again, uh, atomization of the workplace against solidarity. And, uh, and so that would be, I mean, that's, again, uh, you're working towards an independent and democratic sectoral uh, organizing of the New York City uh, food, the restaurants under the Restaurant Workers Council. And uh, we've been discussing the, the tip arrangement, which would be uh, an integral part of this. Um, is, is there more to add on that? Or do you want to go into uh, what's, what will you look ahead of in 2021? If anyone can predict the year, right? I mean, we're... <laughs> 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 one thing that's uh, worth saying, yeah, uh, something I alluded to earlier, uh, but one thing that's worth saying is that as long as the tipping system has existed, uh, restaurant workers have been fighting to uh, replace the tipping system with a high dependable hourly wage. Uh, so we see this, uh, we have an article actually where we uh, lay out a lot of the same points in, in greater detail that we're talking about here. But uh, the earliest article we found is a French workers newspaper in 1846 that says, uh, why isn't the owner of a restaurant or a cafe responsible for paying their workers like uh, uh, owners in every other uh, uh, sector. Uh, why should there be this one exception in which workers have to essentially beg for their wage? Uh, we also quote a, a German workers newspaper from 1901, which is uh, saying a lot of the similar things that uh, you, John, are pointing out is how uh, particularly uh, for uh, women that work in the sector, uh, the uh, the tipping system augments their, augments their, their various vulnerabilities uh, that uh, beg for their remuneration of their very real work penny by penny, uh, which will not serve us. And then even in this country, so early as 1913, uh, <clears throat> uh, union meetings of restaurant workers were uh, met with, uh, uh, they were met with applause when they discussed the uh, ending of the, of the tipping system. And so this is, uh, not a new idea. Uh, this is something that's consistently been um, fought for by restaurant workers. And uh, it, I think it's a, it's a part of our history as workers that we need to uh, carry to its logical conclusion to replace this uh, wage system with uh, a high uh, consistent hourly wage. And again, um, uh, uh, an observation here, a comment, uh, Diego, Eric, Jesus, is that, um, you know, it, it's a struggle, again, organizing the workplace is a struggle, ultimately, in my opinion, of human dignity. And uh, there's many, many assaults on human dignity at the workplace. Uh, but in the restaurant sector, uh, this tipping system uh, is it, it, such a apparent <laughs> attack on it that, again, like you talked about, the uh, when you work, how you work. Uh, so you're really striking that is striking at the, the heart of this, in my opinion. Um, para los que hablan español, John, uh, John acaba de decir que uh, lo que vemos en, en muchos sitios de trabajo, pero especialmente en el sector de restaurantes, es 
asaltos continuos uh, sobre la dignidad humana y que el sistema de propina uh, especialmente lo aumenta esa situación, uh, que, que lo tiene sin protección. Y, y en su opinión nuestro análisis uh, toca al centro de ese tema. Uh, so, um, should we go on? We can talk about uh, what we did this last year and what we have uh, planned for the future. Sounds good. Go right ahead. Sure. Eric, you want to start us off? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, we were formed in um, the spring uh, at that moment when thousands of workers in our city were furloughed or laid off. Um, and we began uh, with uh, 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 meetings of workers, introductory meetings of workers. And at the time we also organized delivery, delivery of uh, emergency food and supplies uh, to uh, workers with families, to older workers, undocumented workers who were not eligible for uh, what is already insufficient unemployment insurance, uh, those infected with COVID-19. Um, we were not alone in that effort, but uh, unlike others in the industry, we did not uh, take money from restaurant owners or their cronies. We raised money from those of us still working and from the broader working class. And so one of the first lessons at the very beginning uh, of the year was that the working class has to rely on our own forces. And that's a principle that we, we refuse to compromise. Para los que hablan español, lo que estamos diciendo es que empecemos la organización en la primavera, al principio de la crisis de coronavirus. Uh, que eh, empecemos en parte con reuniones introductorias, pero también con a la entrega de uh, ayuda de comestibles, comestibles de emergencia eh, para los que eran uh, especialmente vulnerables, como los que fueron indocumentados y no elegibles por el ya insuficiente uh, seguro de desempleo, para los que estaban mal de salud, uh, los que no podían trabajar por varias razones. Uh, pero uh, no estábamos solos en ese esfuerzo, pero uh, en contraste con muchas organizaciones Uh, nosotros solamente uh, colectamos dinero y uh, uh, comestibles de, de gente, que, de, de otros trabajadores. Y de así, uh, desde el principio, salgo, salió la, el principio de que los trabajadores tienen que uh, contar en sus propias fuerzas. Then, um, uh, throughout the year, uh, several points uh, became clear as we started to... Uh, form um, the leading body of our organization and to begin to lay out our, our program. The very first is that obviously the uh, way that uh, unemployment insur insurance works in this country is completely uh, insufficient. Uh, on the one hand, we see that uh, unemployment payments are actually a very meager percentage of wages. And then on the other hand, we see that they don't go to all workers. Many, many workers are deliberately excluded, especially the undocumented who work particularly hard, who uh, are uh, particularly exploited in our sector. And that uh, the assistance that's been available throughout the year uh, has gone primarily to the rich and the government has been very, very, very frugal with the uh, 
uh, with the poor and with workers. And so we think it's uh, not only necessary that we eventually strive for full unemployment insurance for all workers, including the undocumented, which we feel is essential, but that we also have to begin uh, organizing shoulder to shoulder with the undocumented from the very beginning, which uh, includes um, uh, making sure that uh, undocumented workers will be able to join the union and be on the contract that ensures them the same wages and benefits that we should uh, work to block uh, cooperation with ICE enforcement, that we should uh, strive for the overturning of the Immigration Control and Reform Act, which was actually supported by the AFL-CIO when it passed in 1986. Uh, these are all, all, all things that uh, became clear when we looked at the situation of uh, mass unemployment. So uh, uh, that's an interesting point, Diego, about, uh, I'll throw this out, uh, uh, unemployment. So by working undocumented uh, and then not getting unemployment, I, I would consider that another form of wage theft. Many undocumented workers are essentially paying into social services that they'll never receive, not to mention that they're making profits for American bosses just as much they live and work here. They are uh, American capitalists are profiting off them being here and not only uh, uh, profiting on their work directly, but also profiting of the fact that they're completely deprived of political rights. They can be fired or deporting for speaking up at the workforce. Uh, we, we actually have to demand uh, equality for documented and undocumented workers because this is uh, something that would make workers much stronger and uh, really cut against the interests of our bosses who have a permanent interest in uh, artificially oppressing a minority of us in order to undercut the wages of the rest. This is something we unequivocally have to oppose. And again, I see that it, again as an effort, ultimately what we're talking about is the dignity of all of us. Yeah, yeah. So, so go ahead. Uh, do you, do you wanna translate what? Estamos diciendo que lo que se hizo muy claro al principio de la crisis es que uh, la distribución de fondos de ayuda durante la pandemia ha sido uh, completamente uh, desigual entre la gente rica y la gente pobre, que uh, los pagos de desempleo uh, fueron insuficientes para los que sí eran elegibles, pero no existían para los millones de trabajadores indocumentados que trabajan y hacen ganancias para capitalistas norteamericanos en este país. Uh, y que uh, no solamente tenemos que uh, apoyar uh, seguro de empleo uh, completo para todos los trabajadores sin respeto a su estatus migratorio, pero también que tenemos uh, que empezar a organizar con los trabajadores uh, indocumentados desde el principio. ¿Qué quiere decir? Que tenemos que asegurar que los trabajadores indocumentados pueden beneficiar del contrato sindical, que de, deberían ganar los mismos salarios y recibir los mismos beneficios que los demás. Uh, que debería, deberíamos bloquear, trabajar para bloquear, la, uh, hacer cumplir las leyes migratorias de los Estados Unidos, del Estado, y también deberíamos trabajar para, uh, para anular uh, la ley de reforma y control de inmigración, que fue aplaudida realmente en 1986 por los sindicatos grandes. Estos son hechos fundamentales que tenemos que apoyar. Eric, ¿quieres continuar? I think just to add, just to add to that, the the um, the federal boost 
that everybody uh, uh, is talking about, uh, including the uh, $600 federal boost that was enacted in late March, is a direct result of the, this permanently meager rate of state unemployment benefits uh, in which the average benefit paid out is around a third of average earnings. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition, as we've said, that uh, to the fact that un undocumented uh, workers who make up uh, an enormous part of the workers in the restaurant sector are permanently blocked from receiving both state and federal compensation. Correct. And, and being in, in seasonal work all my life, construction, firefighting, uh, documented or undocumented, uh, it depends, again, you're at the whim, if it's a busy year on construction, depending on the fire season, however you're working in those seasonal occupations, uh, it depends on earnings and uh, it, it could be far less than a third of your uh, income there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And so ultimately, um, to point continue, that, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. We're going to the same place, I think so. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I think uh, I was going to jump ahead a little bit, but um, uh, one of the, the slogans that we ultimately have to come to is that for an equal wage, for an equal work, for equal work, we need uh, a genuinely equal wage. And uh, this is something that uh, ties in not only for the struggle of the, the, the rights of undocumented workers, but also of uh, uh, black and minority uh, nationality uh, workers in the United States, which became uh, clear during the cycle of, um, of uh, protests against police brutality that happened over the spring and summer. Do you want to continue talking about that, Eric? Yeah, so that was in late uh, May when George Floyd, who actually is a fellow restaurant worker or was a fellow restaurant worker, was uh, brutally murdered at the hands of a white Minneapolis a police officer. And we joined with the masses of uh, uh, workers and youth of all nationalities who had taken to the streets uh, at that time across the U.S. Um, and against those who stood uh, with the oppressors, um, including union leaders. Here in New York, Tony Utano of TWU uh, Local 100 uh, at that time staged a photo op with the head of the police union in New York. And I put union in, in quotes. Uh, but from the uh, uh, George Floyd protests, we formulated two positions. The first is uh, that in addition to our sectoral interests as workers, um, the union uh, will give workers the power to fight for the general interests of uh, all workers and to form alliances with other sections of society who are struggling against oppression and exploitation. The union um, trains us for struggle, it organizes uh, our power, and in that way uh, allows us to uh, struggle alongside others to form alliances to transform society together. The second, uh, is that the process of unionizing the restaurant industry has to proceed from a clear recognition uh, of the unique material realities faced by different restaurant workers. And in particular, we need to uh, make it our goal uh, to destroy the hierarchy of wages according to nationality, race, uh, gender, uh, because uh, among other for among other reasons, this hierarchy of wages 
that serves the bosses. It allows them to sow division among workers and uh, prevents workers from seeing our common struggle against our common adversary. And this is where the slogan to which uh, Diego referred uh, for an equal work and equal wage comes in. Para los que hablan español, estamos hablando como eh, las manifestaciones alrededor de la muerte de, perdón, el asesinato de George Floyd en Minneapolis. Eh, aclaró la necesidad de, eh, como trabajadores, articular nuestro proyecto social, uh, que sería uh, hombro con hombro con toda la gente que está uh, luchando contra la opresión y la explotación. Que el sindicato no está, la organización, la fuerza eh, para... Uh, formar alianzas y luchar para uh, cambiar la sociedad entera a los intereses de trabajadores. Eso es el primer punto. El segundo es que tenemos que uh, estar claros sobre las particularidades de distintos trabajadores en el restaurante, que quiere decir que uh, tenemos que uh, trabajar para destruir la jerarquía de, uh, por nacionalidad y de raza y por sexo de, de salarios, que es algo que divide a los trabajadores, que los deja débil. Y de ahí viene uh, el eslogan que acabo de decir, uh, que por un trabajo igual, uh, los trabajadores se merecen un salario igual. Uh, Jesús, ¿tiene algo para añadir sobre los trabajadores y su proyecto social? ¿O las varias divisiones uh, en los restaurantes por... Uh, uh, de acuerdo con la raza o nacionalidad. Creo que tienes el sonido apagado. Igualmente dime cuando tiene una idea. Should we go on? Go right ahead. Right. Uh, <coughs> ¿Se, ¿Se escucha? Sí, sí, se oye. Ok, yo lo que te decía es que eso de la discriminación se ha venido dando a través de los tiempos, ¿verdad? Que pues en, se ha visto que no tanto por la nación, por la nacionalidad, sino, bueno, sí, puede ser la nacionalidad, porque la nacionalidad pues ya incluye lo que es la raza. Siempre ha tenido más privilegio las personas de raza blanca. Tú sabes que aquí pues la mayoría de gente, tú ves, la mayoría de la gente que trabaja de Discwatchers son africanos, entonces como que ya hay, hay una marcada diferencia, como que un, un africano no puede ser cocinero, ¿por qué no? Si tiene, para mí, cierto que tiene las mismas habilidades que puede tener un americano, un mexicano, cualquier latino. Entonces también eso ha influido, y también yo pienso que la, no, yo siento también como que ha sido la, la baja autoestima de la misma persona también, porque también es Depende de uno mismo de querer aspirar a algo más, de no estar siempre lo mismo. Entonces, pues, eh, es la, la verdad es que cuando la gente está recién llegada acá se conforma con lo que encuentra, porque lo que necesitan es trabajar, la gente viene pensando ayudar a su familia, no vienen pensando tanto como en que si me dan este trabajo no lo voy a coger, porque voy a coger el trabajo que yo quiera, sino que, pues, tú trabajas de lo que, te, de lo que haya, pues. Pero, por, por ejemplo, aquí en este estado, yo de acuerdo a mi experiencia había visto que pues, no, no ha sido tan, no tan marcada la, el, el, la diferencia, porque aquí prácticamente pues, un salario igualitario, digamos, el cocinero están ganando casi lo mismo. Entonces, pero sí, yo siento que es muy importante que el, que el, el rubro del restaurante eh, 
esté organizado, porque un rubio un rubro tan grande, hay tantas necesidades, tantas quejas, tantas cosas que uno ignora, por ejemplo, tantos derechos que uno tiene que uno no los puede pelear, por lo mismo, tío, porque la necesidad de un trabajo, porque uno que no tiene documentos como que les, les, les resulta mucho más difícil ir de un lugar a otro a buscar trabajo, más ahora en este tiempo después de la pandemia, que tú sabes que el mercado quedó, yo creo que ya no hay ni agencias de empleo aquí, antes la gente iba a una agencia y lo mandaban al trabajo, pagaba 100 dólares, te mandaban directo al trabajo, ahora yo creo que ya ni eso existe. Entonces, ese es el punto, pues, tratar de organizar a la gente y sin ninguna diferencia. Nosotros hemos, desde que empezamos a crear este proyecto hemos hablado de que todos, todos cuentan en este proyecto, pues prácticamente. Jesús estaba diciendo que, sorry, Jesús was saying that um, uh, he notices this, this uh, hierarchy according to nationality and, and to race all the time. For example, uh, typically in New York, the dishwasher will almost always be uh, an African. Uh, dishwashers are almost always from the continent of Africa. Uh, many cooks come from like uh, Central and South America. Waiters are uh, generally white. You see a racialized hierarchy that corresponds to a wage and nationality throughout the restaurant, uh, which uh, in Jesus' opinion, Jesus's opinion uh, it happens because many people come to this country not thinking, uh, if I can't uh, get exactly the job I want, I won't take it. Uh, people, uh, due to their poor economic circumstances, have to uh, work to find uh, whatever way that they can support themselves and their families as quickly as possible. And part of this is, is, is uh, uh, consider the reason why we need to organize the sector. It's such a big sector. There are so many obvious problems with it uh, that it shows the need that we have to uh, organize the sector because people don't have the recourses to fight for a better life on their own. Uh, Jesus was saying that uh, even a year ago, you could uh, find an employment agency that might be able to find you a job here and there but with uh, jobs so scarce in the industry and conditions so bad, uh, you, can't, uh, you can no longer change jobs and expect to make more money. The only thing that's left for us is to really fight for our uh, collective interest through an organization that embraces us all. Uh, no, absolutely. And again, right, all right. I mean, we, we, uh, this atomization, this, you know, you know, kind of a particulate, particular, maybe not particular, but certainly, uh, hyper emphasized in the United States emphasis on individuality, you know, you know, the help, uh, you know, you can make it on your own um, strikes against uh, tenants of uh, human dignity, no matter uh, what the source is, Diego. Uh, and uh, so, you know, there's that part of it. Um, and, you know, if at my age, I look at it, I mean, I was thinking maybe it's a weak analogy, but it's like when we when we decided to uh, go into, you know, basically deindustrialize the country uh, under neocapitalism, neoliberal capitalism, um, the it was almost like when we, we tried to re supposedly reform uh, mental health and, you know, we we got rid of the institutions, but we made no no accommodation, no preparation for to, what to do with these people. Uh, suddenly we're supposed to to substitute uh, industry with service sectors, but we made no um, effort to make uh, that a, a, a path to a, a decent living. 
I mean, that, that's an interesting point. I would say that, uh, like, in terms of deindustrialization and the shift towards the service sector, I, I don't think it was just a, a lack of planning that led to the, the conditions of many workers in this country being undercut. I think it was a very, very conscious decision to uh, move production to places where workers had fewer protections. And no, so right. like, like, uh, we talk about this uh, with an um, article on, on Biden, who's like a historic like a uh, 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 free trade warrior, uh, despite his supposed uh, 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 blue collar pandering in name mm -hmm. only, uh, we find that uh, he was uh, enthusiastic about um, uh, free trade deals that would allow uh, American capitalists to not only deprive workers in the United States of jobs that they previously had, but also to go and exploit workers that didn't uh, share the exact same protections in other countries. Um, so we see that as, as uh, like a, a deliberate choice in terms of that. And I think we need to, to understand that in the history of the labor movement and the, the history of our sector in particular. Uh, but then again, I, I don't think that we um, need to think that uh, the appearance of atomization in our sector is necessarily uh, a destiny. We've seen uh, independent uh, unions, uh, spectacularly combative unions that actually did fight to transform the conditions in the restaurant sector. Uh, historically, um, this is, uh, uh, we see this in uh, 1912, 1913, the uh, New York waiter strike cycle. And then again, in the uh, 1930s in New York City, where once again, there were very large, very combative restaurant workers unions that were independent and that were actually able to leave a very significant mark on this sector. I, I, I think not only are we pressed with the need to uh, understand the labor movement, to understand um, society, political economy, and all of those things, but to also uh, remember that history uh, gives us many, many reasons for optimism, I think, in this case. Good. I mean, right. Good. And I, you made a good point. And, and if I had been more thoughtful, I would agree with you. It was, it was intentional, uh, the race to the bottom, to uh, send these jobs somewhere else to exploit workers somewhere else uh, and but then the whole idea was we're going to have a service sector that's going to take the place of these jobs and uh, and before the pandemic uh, we knew this was uh, built on on sand and the pandemic and economic collapse uh, simply made it worse or intolerable right but I don't think that we should understand we shouldn't uh uh, underestimate our ability to uh, uh, to transform things. But that uh, segues into something that we were also hoping to talk about, which is uh, uh, on uh, our position on reopenings and lockdowns in general. Uh, so on the one hand, you might think that uh, whether to open or close restaurants in a country, in a city or in a state would be a question just of virology and epidemiology. But in reality, we see that um, this is a matter of how strong workers are in comparison to their bosses as much as it is of science. Like for example, in New York, um, uh, the opening of restaurants, including interior, indoor dining, uh, continued through uh, the month of September of last year, despite the fact that cases were steadily climbing. So we see that the move to reopen it, reopen in the service of uh, capital is uh, moving at a ry rhythm completely uh, uh, as opposed to science. Like even our governor Cuomo, who even though cases are rising to record levels every day, we're still assured that he's doing a great job. Um, he uh, represents a certain uh, type of capitalist politician that loves to talk about uh, 
fulfilling the uh, following the advice of scientists in general, but in reality, we see that he's moving much more according to the business cycle than to the demands of science. Right, and at the same time that we see this, we see the the continuation of attacks among uh, the uh, against the most uh, vulnerable in our sector, including uh, undocumented uh, workers. Right. I think uh, one thing is we get restaurant workers throughout New York City. Uh, and in a recent article, we highlighted two stories shared with us by New York City restaurant workers. The first was from a busser in Queens who uh, re relayed uh, her experience uh, contracting COVID, uh, notifying the boss, uh, and um, the restaurant didn't close down. None of the coworkers were tested, quarantined, or notified. Mm -hmm. um, that's the first case. Uh, then a line cook from South Brooklyn sent us around the same time uh, an incident at his restaurant in which uh, a person worked for two days at the restaurant while positive and the restaurant closed down for two weeks without any help for the workers there. Uh, and so these are two uh, examples of why the debate shouldn't be around should we close or should we open, which uh, it should be a question of science, uh, but it has to do with who has power in the situation uh, because the choice should not be closed without any uh, means of uh, meeting one's daily needs or stay open and risk uh, disease or death. Uh, that the fact that uh, those are the choices uh, is a direct consequence of the atomized, as you said, the unorganized nature of the restaurant sector. Right. Para los que hablan español, estábamos hablando sobre cómo la manera en que se trata con el COVID en el trabajo, especialmente en nuestro sector donde los trabajadores no tienen poder. Es tanto asunto de la fuerza de los trabajadores que de ciencia y de vi virología. Uh, tuvimos uh, dos letras uh, hace poco que publicamos. Uno, en un caso, una trabajadora contrató COVID, el restaurante no cerró y todos tenían que seguir trabajando. Y así vemos que la salud de los trabajadores está, está afectada por las necesidades del capital. Y en el segundo caso tuvimos un restaurante uh, donde cerraron por dos semanas por un caso de COVID pero que eh, esencialmente tiraron a los trabajadores a la calle sin manera de apoyarse, sin ingresos, eh, sin nada. Así que la cuestión no es abrir o cerrar, sino uh, si vamos a tener la fuerza para determinar las condiciones de nuestros trabajadores, de nuestro trabajo y asegurar que uh, si tenemos que cerrar, uh, tengamos ingresos pagados por uh, nuestros jefes, por la industria. Jesús, ¿tiene algo para comentar? Sí, bueno, en este caso yo creo que uno, la mayoría de los que trabajamos, pues trabajamos por necesidad. Entonces, es un riesgo trabajar de esa forma, porque igual, aparte del frío que hace, ¿verdad? Y pues, estamos afuera y estamos expuestos a... Porque como quiere la gente llega con su mascarilla, pero cuando están comiendo se le quitan. Y entonces, pues, igual uno, yo, uno no se quita la mascarilla, pero 
también es un riesgo, no saben en qué momento uno puede tener un descuido ¿verdad? y pues por lo, hasta ahora por los momentos pues nadie se ha contagiado, pero si todos corremos un riesgo que pues al final necesitamos trabajar porque imagínate no tenemos ningún tipo de ayuda por otro lado, entonces como quieres un riesgo pero te quede. desafortunadamente tenemos que correrlo comes with a lot of risks right now, as you can imagine, um, that uh, uh, you have to work outside now, uh, which means that you're also exposed to the cold, in addition to the possibility of um, getting COVID. Uh, customers wait, may wear their masks, but they will take them off when they're eating, obviously. And uh, you can keep your own mask on, but that's not necessarily a guarantee that you won't be exposed. And um, the reason that people have to be driven to work to work under these conditions is because Um, they're not strong enough to demand uh, that things be otherwise. Really, that uh, one's trapped between the, cho the impossible choices of uh, risking one's life due to COVID or risking eviction and starvation. Uh, those are not choices that we will accept. Absolutely. Again, once again, speaking of, uh, again, the basic human dignity uh, put in those terms, uh, which are, are simple, but... Uh, sound. Uh, again, I'd like to uh, uh, reintroduce everyone. There was Diego, Jesus, and Eric uh, with Restaurant Workers Council of New York City. I'm John Andertrek. Uh, we spoke about the, the tip system, uh, the archaic nature of it, uh, uh, historic uh, anecdotes about it uh, going uh, hundreds, but almost, gosh, going on Uh, going back into the uh, mid-1800s and the problems with it uh, and uh, again exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, I'm John Andertrek. It's This is going to be for Labor Lines, the podcast, Labor Lines, the radio show on KRFP. Uh, and now we're talking about the, the ramifications of shutdown or not shutdown. Well, uh, it, it based it simply on uh, on uh, without taking into consideration the needs of the worker. Right, right. Then the question is, uh, do we become strong enough to be able to dictate our needs? There you go. We need to be able to dictate that we work under safe conditions when it is safe to work, and that uh, we have our expenses paid for when it's not safe to work. Because right now, many of us work not enough to be comfortable and to pay all of our bills comfortably, but we also uh, work enough to uh, risk exposure. So we get neither sometimes, we get neither safety or you know, the, the, the chance of, of genuinely paying all of our bills and staying afloat. Uh, one thing that, that's uh, also interesting and that uh, workers need to be able to think of and analyze is the, uh, the end of the Trump era and the beginning of a new era and the way that uh, Uh, restaurant workers and especially those who are taking up the project of forming the union need to be able to articulate, to think about, and to be able to plan next steps. Go ahead. Right. So, um, right. as we know, uh, like the, the, despite Trump's uh, nominally populist rhetoric, uh, uh, the Trump era did represent a completely consistent attack on the interests of workers. Uh, a lot of this uh, goes through the uh, NLRA, which made it harder to form a bargaining unit of your choice, uh, classified millions of workers as, excuse me, hundreds of thousands of workers as independent contractors not covered by the NLRA. NLRB. Unions in a number of ways. What's that, Eric? Sorry, NLRB. 
National, yeah, let's put this in for people that won't get this National Labor Relations Board. Um, uh, and then go ahead, uh, Diego right. and Eric. Yeah. Excuse me, I, I confused NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, with the board that enforces it. I, I switched the two. Excuse me, a bit of a spoonerism. Uh, they made it uh, harder to uh, organize workers. Uh, and um, they made it possible to actually change collective uh, for bosses to unilaterally change uh, collective bargaining agreements. And though uh, we, we feel that uh, the, the Biden administration could hardly be, it, it be hard to imagine it being worse than the Trump predecessor. We don't uh, think that we should count on Biden solving our problems for us. Uh, we've talked previously about Biden's uh, less than desirable uh, record. And we uh, mentioned earlier how, at least when it comes to the attack on workers that comes in the form of tip sharing, that the Biden uh, faction of the Democratic Party and the Trumpians actually converged pretty well uh, on this um, uh, point led by uh, worker centers like RSU United and one supposedly fair wage, uh, which are aligned with the Democratic Party, as we spoke about before. Uh, we think that at the beginning of this uh, uh, new administration, we have to take advantage of every reform that we can wield in our interest, but also be um, clear not to uh, compromise our independence as workers. Absolutely. I guess, you know, one could uh, perhaps look at it as uh, uh, the new administration will be uh, uh, a better fall, if you will, than what we faced before. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's going to be in the workers' hands, going to be in labor's hands uh, uh, to push it forward. Uh, or it, it's it, it, in our political system as it stands now, uh, it's just going to fall prey to uh, uh, the other interests, if you will. Right. Sure. Yeah. I, I think. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. I was just going to add that uh, Biden's nominee for Labor Secretary, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, uh, is uh, some ways emblematic of what we can expect. Uh, he began as a worker for uh, Labor's Union Local 223, became president of the union. He was a Massachusetts state representative. Then he, he headed the Building and Construction Trades Council, which was this umbrella organization of 20 local unions before becoming mayor. Uh, and because he had this strong union background, uh, when he was elected mayor in 2014, a lot of Boston business leaders were quite uh, worried uh, at, at that point. Uh, but now they support him strongly, and he's seen as a consensus candidate between capital and labor, um, which has been expressed in various concrete policy decisions. Uh, he's made it easier for Boston area companies to get projects approved. He, he vacillated on charter schools. He did uh, little or nothing to help with affordable housing. Uh, so the Boston Globe actually described him as a business friendly mayor on balance. Uh, and I think this is what we can expect uh, from the Biden administration. Right. So we can expect a lot of symbolic concessions, but uh, in terms of concrete policy, I think we're very much on our own there. Yeah, like, uh, there, there'll be uh, improvements. I, I like the way John put it. Yeah, as as less of a fall. Right. Right. Well, and once again, right. Historically, um, um, you, you know, the landscape in front of us is what it is. Uh, uh, but it has to be in the workers' hands. I mean, that, that's a historic lesson. It's it, ultimately it, it's up to us uh, for better or for worse.
para los que hablan español, estábamos diciendo que uh, aunque estamos empezando uh, una nueva administra administración pronto y un nuevo presidente que apenas puede ser peor en términos de, de su relación con los trabajadores que uh, Trump, Uh, no deberíamos esperar que va a poder resolver nuestros problemas. Por ejemplo, uh, uh, vemos que, uh, uh, por ejemplo, el uh, <coughs> candidato para secretario de trabajo, el alcalde de Boston, Marty Walsh, uh, tiene una historia pro sindical, fue presidente de un sindicato, empezó de construcción, empezó como uh, obrero. Uh, fue presiden uh, presidente de uh, una organización de 20 locales de sindicatos de construcción en Massachusetts, pero uh, cuando se hizo alcalde, uh, rápidamente uh, tuvo, uh, adquirió una reputación de ser un uh, alcalde pro negocio. Y esto está expresado en términos de uh, uh, su política concreta, que tiene que ver con hacerlo más fácil que los... Uh, las empresas de construcción uh, sacan uh, permites uh, y también hizo casi nada para mejorar la situación de uh, viviendas uh, más baratas para los trabajadores en una ciudad que se está haciendo rápidamente uh, muy cara para vivir. Uh, esto es emblemático de la situación que vamos a tener en la próxima administración que uh, va a ser... Uh, como se ve, concesiones uh, uh, simbólicas más que nada. Y que últimamente, como dijo John, al final uh, todo está en las manos de los trabajadores. Uh, si tiene algo para añadir, dígalo. I think that uh, it, is, it is particularly important that uh, we may get uh, carried away In, in, in terms of, um, uh, like, like we said before, we need to be able to understand, as workers, we need to be able to understand the movement of politics. We need to understand economy and political economy and all of those things. And we need to not be carried away by the fact that the new Secretary of Labor will have been uh, a union president and uh, focus on um, the, the situation concretely to remember that it's in our own hands. We do always. Absolutely. And, and, and right, you say, and, and look beyond the symb symbolic and uh, uh, the, the headlines and uh, look at the concrete. Uh, we know what problems face us. Uh, as an example, I mean, uh, uh, the news now is that there's going to be a vote in Alabama, of all places, uh, at Amazon Fulfillment Center, 6,000 plus workers. But under the current system, even uh, organizing a workplace Uh, does not force the company to negotiate in good faith or bad faith. They could, they could just ride it out. And, and I've seen too many times where uh, uh, workplaces vote to decertify because after two, three, four years of not getting anywhere, uh, the workers are demoralized. Right. That can happen. Yeah. Right. In addition, we also seen that the Trump, the, the Trump NLRB tried to make it illegal to talk about unionization at work. You can actually be punished for that now. Uh, that's no longer a concerted activity. And uh, the, the, the Alabama vote is something interesting that you mentioned because um, uh, there's, there's a question of being able to define your own bargaining unit in the sense that uh, Amazon argued to include a much larger bargaining unit 
uh, hoping that um, these workers had not been in contact with union organizers and that they would be able to dilute the pro-union contingent in that new facility. And so uh, that's a particular case where, where uh, we see how these um, uh, recent legal decisions, these, uh, these, uh, uh, these consequences of politics are, are really felt in day-to-day -day organizing as well. Well, okay, I'll throw this in. Um, it, it, you know, it's exemplary, the good work you folks are doing, uh, you still have to go out and make a living. You still have to have a life. You still have to eat, you have to sleep. But Amazon, I mean, you know, that's a 24 seven, you know, preventing the unionization of workforce of their, of their workplace, that's a 24 seven operation. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a full, you know, full, you know, you know Walmart really kind of set a standard decades ago you know, floor after floor of, of union busting uh, operations. So uh, it is uphill, but you know, like you say, we, you know, there, uh, we, we uh, can't despair. You could be realistic. You could be pessimistic at times, um, but uh, the despair is the enemy, isn't it? Right. Right. I think there, there, there's reason to be optimistic and to think that um, the workers taking up their own interests and in really transforming society for the benefit of those that work for a living, that work for wages is an inevitability, in my opinion. And I, I think that, that that's something that we need to, to carry to think of, that wherever there's oppression, exploitation, there will be resistance, and that that is the future. I think workers really do carry the future with them in that way. Very good. Uh, just to, to wrap up uh, as far as uh, where we are now, um, so we talked about the past year and some uh, points that we came to as a leading body. Um, this has been our first step, which is to organize a leading body that can determine our general tactics and program. Our next step, uh, which we hope to uh, formally, uh, on, on May, uh, sorry, March 10th, uh, we're going to have a general assembly that will establish a general body that can gather restaurant workers uh, throughout the city. Uh, and so then we will, uh, at that meeting, uh, formally found the organization with a general body, with a constitution that means rules and a program. And then the step after that will be to found the union. And then the step after that will be to concentrate the force of hundreds of workers against shops one by one uh, in order to realize recognition of each bargaining unit uh, and actually begin organizing shops and negotiating contracts. So that is how we see uh, the next steps. So uh, right now we've established a leading body. The next is to establish the general body to found the organization, then to found the union, and then to organize shops. Right. Para los que hablan español, estamos... Hemos estado discutiendo unas posiciones que, eh, como uh, pequeño grupo organizador, eh, hemos tomado eh, durante el último año. Establecer este grupo, comi eh, comité eh, or organizador, ha sido eh, la primera eh, etapa. Uh, la segunda eh, será formar un cuerpo general eh, que vamos a hacer en una reunión, una asamblea general, el 10 de marzo donde se va a establecer uh, el cuerpo general uh, formalmente con una constitución, que quiere decir con reglas y un programa. Uh, después de eso, uh, el, el tercer paso será uh, 
establecer el sindicato uh, legalmente, uh, después de cual uh, vamos a empezar a concentrar uh, la fuerza de cientos y de miles de trabajadores de restaurante contra locales individuos para establecer uh, el uh, sindicato y ponerlo en órbita. Uh, y eso es uh, nuestro plan. Estamos listos uh, para pasar al segundo paso y les invitamos a los que están uh, en la ciudad o cerca, los que están interesados para participar. Anything to add, gentlemen? Do you have any further comments or questions, John? Well, no, I, the, the, my comment is thanks once again for your time today. Uh, uh, I, I don't have anything but uh, praise to say for your work there. Uh, well, I guess one comment, Eric, as he spoke about your, your next steps, uh, what's obvious to anyone listening is the commitment to uh, a democratic union and that you're, you're, you, from your, your first steps forward is to form a, 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 a member, a worker-centered uh, organization uh, from the ground up. And I, I, th that's very noteworthy. And to me, the only uh, uh, long-term long -term effort uh, with, any, with the best hopes, not any hope, but with the best hopes, uh, without criticizing others. I just say, that's me personally, I think that's ultimately the, the best chance for a sustainable uh, worker movement. And with that, again, thank you for your time, Eric, Jesus, and Diego, Restaurant Workers Council of New York City. Uh, be safe. Um, it's gonna be an interesting ride, 2021, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, as always for the kind words. Uh, we'll be uh, very much in touch. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks again. So we'll leave them. All right, John. Yep. Thank you, Eric. I'll take you go, actually. All right. Uh, would you want to come on March 10th to uh, uh, come uh, address the General Assembly? And who said to? About the work you're doing. Me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'd be honored if I could work that together. I would be honored. Yes. So, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we can be uh, in touch to work out the details. But, yeah, we'd okay. be really uh, interested to hear and, and what's going on, just to speak to the group, let everyone know that uh, we're not alone in the city in this effort, you know. No, absolutely no. I always have a voice here. But if that if I could work out, I, that'd, be, that'd be one of the biggest honors of, of, of my life. So, thank you. Uh, we, we appreciate it. Thank you very much, John. Uh, okay. Thank bye -bye. you so much. Yo, All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, yep. Bye bye.